Welcome to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, here today to talk about Romans Bible Study. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we've talked about Romans Bible Study on the podcast, and some of that's been because of some schedule changes. Um, We didn't meet for Easter. I was out of town for a week. Uh, But we did meet last week, and we are going to continue to meet through the end of this month as we finish our series in Romans, um, really focusing on chapter 8. So last week we, well, two weeks ago, I wasn't there, and I left everyone with a assignment to evaluate the different views on Romans chapter 7, uh, specifically Romans 7, starting in verse 7 uh, through the end of the chapter where Paul is talking in the first person. Uh, and I'm not going to run through all of the views now, but... Um, any good Romans commentary will evaluate at least a few of them and the pros and the cons. So kind of left it as an open discussion. And then this past week, we reconvened and um, I got some feedback on the discussion itself and then kind of put out somewhat my view, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm still even rethinking some of the things as I've been preparing for this study and just kind of thinking about Romans 7. Um, reading some different things. And so I thought it might be useful to recap a little bit here and then look ahead to how that discussion is actually going to filter into our discussion this coming week as we get into Romans chapter 8. So just to summarize briefly, I think I'm partial to the view that uh, Douglas Moo talks about in his Romans commentary, where the I that Paul is using in Romans 7, 7 through 25, um, is not necessarily autobiographical, uh, but is more describing the life that Israel experienced under the law. And Paul is presenting it, uh, presenting the view as if it's his own, or at least using the first person um, to establish some solidarity with Israel. Uh, as they experience life under the law. Um, some of the reasons for this, you you can see, I know this is not Israel, but it's still part of the Old Testament history. Um, you can see some correlations in 7, 7 through 7, 12 uh, with the Adam story. And Adam has already been a figure in Romans up to this point. Um, Israel has been a figure as well, but really since... Uh, I think it was since we we had Abraham in chapter four, uh, Paul hasn't been drawing the distinction as much between Jew and Gentile, but has been treating humanity in a more universal sense. Um, hence his emphasis on solidarity with Adam in Romans chapter five. Um, so I know at first blush, it might seem like a stretch to say that when Paul says, I this, I that, he's not talking about himself. Um, but one of the things that stuck, uh, stuck out to me in some of the the reading that I did and some of the research and the commentaries is that it wasn't, uh, I think a fair way to say it might be when we read Paul saying, I, this, I, that the, in, in an extended way, kind of like what's going on here, our default assumption is that he's presenting his view because that's the way we would write and the way we would speak. I don't think it's fair to say that that is the default assumption in the ancient world, at least, especially at a rhetorical level, in a public speaking rhetorical sense. It, the I language first person perspective was often used to present a view that you would then disagree with. Um, 
So that doesn't necessarily mean that's what Paul's doing here just because other ancient people might have done that at some point in time, but it does mean we might not be, uh, we should not be quick to just assume it's Paul being autobiographical and then try to decide, is he talking about his current experience, his experience growing up as a Jewish boy, his experience as a Pharisee before he uh, came to worship Jesus as Lord? Um you kind of can bracket that off a little bit. Uh, the second piece that kind of pushed me to rethink this a little bit more is when Paul talks about um, verse 9, he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Um, that's very difficult to square with the way Paul describes his life elsewhere under the law. Um, and it is also, as he's recapping things in 7 through 12, is recapping things in the past tense. Um, So he's alive. He was alive at one point apart from the law, and then he died. Uh, But that was, so far as we know, not really his experience because he grew up in a Jewish household, was always um, aware of the law, at least from the time he was aware. Um, And there doesn't seem to be a clear case where he would have died because sin came alive, or at least that he could have remembered especially not the way he recaps his life in Philippians chapter three, where he talks about being blameless under the law. Um, So that kind of, that to me, that created a little bit of um, cognitive dissonance in thinking of this as Paul talking about his own experience. Um, Some of the other things that stood out along those lines are uh, what he says in, I'm looking at it now, um, In verse 14, he says, for I know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Um, That word for sold is the one that's often used in reference to selling someone into slavery. And Paul's presenting it there as a present tense reality, which is um, not something that really meshes well with the rest of his description of his own present tense reality. He's not currently sold under sin. Uh, because he's been set free from the bondage of sin and death by his union with Christ through faith. Um, So there's, in the the next verse, though, I feel like a lot of us would resonate with, where he says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I I think we read that and can say, yeah, that's actually, I kind of experience that from time to time, if not more frequently than I would like to admit. Um, But just because that feels like a very present Christian experience, the verse before it should not be, you're not currently sold under sin. Um, It's also not true literally in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And then he does clarify that is in my flesh. Um, But we would say we have the spirit within us that empowers us to live a holy life it is something good dwelling in you, and in a certain sense, it is in your flesh because it is within your body. Um, so I know flesh can mean several things and be used in different ways, um, but that's just one of those other examples of something that just it didn't quite jive with the idea that this is Paul talking about his normative Christian experience, but it also doesn't jive with Paul talking about his experience under the law, given what he says elsewhere. But it does seem to mesh well with how Israel would have experienced living under the law, given the way the rest of the Old Testament unfolds. Um, so there's there are larger reasons for why that might be the best view here. 
Um, I would encourage anyone who really wants to dig into Romans to um, make the effort to purchase that commentary by Douglas Moo. Um, but if you don't want to start there, even some other shorter commentaries, um, John Stott's a good person to turn to. I found Colin Cruz helpful. That's Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. I guess I could put these in the show notes, but um, there's it's it's a worthy text to continue to wrestle with as we try to make sense of how it might apply to our Christian life today and what Paul is really getting at. Um, for this coming week, one of the things that it, it, this will actually continue the discussion um, is I think one of the conclusions we kind of came to in our own discussion that kind of depending on your view was that Romans 7 can capture what it feels like to live the Christian life, but it is not necessarily what the Christian life is designed to be like, given what Paul is going to go on to say in chapter 8. So that's a point that we're going to return to this Sunday, and I think uh, it might be helpful to just read through this first part of chapter 8 that we're going to talk about, and maybe tease out a couple things that we'll focus on. So let me read the, the starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. Paul says, there is, thou, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, we're going to, we'll also talk about uh, 12 through 17, but I just wanted to pause here. Um, actually, I should be clear. We're going to be a little fluid for these next three weeks in Romans Bible study. We need to cover all of chapter eight, um, but we may see, we may find that we need to spend more time in certain sections. Uh, the last week, we're only covering the last eight verses of the chapter. And so we may slow down a little bit here and speed up a little bit later. We'll just kind of see, see uh, who shows up and how the discussion goes. We'll largely determine how much of the text we do each week. Um, but I hope it stuck out as I was reading through that, that in this first part of chapter eight, Paul is really drawing a contrast between two mindsets um, and the fact that we are no longer under the law of sin and death and so are free to set our minds on the things of the spirit, but could also still, because of habit and addiction, set our mind on the things of the flesh and live as if we are still under the law of sin and death. Um 
he really is presenting two options before us and explaining that because of the Spirit, because of Christ, we have the power to live in a certain type of way, but we don't just automatically do that just because we have the Spirit within us. Um, just pointing that out briefly. I'll read 12 through 17, and then we will wrap up here. Paul continues in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Now, there's a lot we could dig into there. We're definitely going to talk about adoption, um, both as it applies here, but really getting into the Greco-Roman practices of adoption, which are uh, significantly different than our understanding of adoption today. Um, the main difference in this case would be um, you would choose a person who is, in some cases, already an, an adult and adopt them as your child legally so that you could then pass on your estate to them. It was far less about providing a home for underprivileged children who don't have parents otherwise. Uh, in some cases, you might adopt someone who has two parents still alive and may actually still live with them. Um, so it, that's a very different sort of thing than what we commonly practice today. They're in continuity, but there is a difference, and that explains why he jumps from sons to heirs so quickly. We also should probably talk a little bit about how the connection between suffering and glorification and how that plays back into putting to death the deeds of the body um, and whether um, that is a what that actually might mean. So as you can see, there is a lot that we could be unpacking here in chapter eight. I, I don't see us getting into the next section. That's definitely going to be the following week. Uh, but I'm looking forward to being back again together this coming Sunday, talking about Romans 8 and seeing where the discussion takes us.